Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents. We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way. We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there. I'm Heather Bonaparte. I'm Douglas Bonaparte, and welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake. We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com. Welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. My name is Douglas Bonaparte, and as always, I'm joined here by my wife, Heather Bonaparte. How are you doing, Heather? I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty crazy to say the least. Yeah, it's been a hell of a week. Between the death of George Floyd, which became exposed across America as a irrefutable injustice and crime, let me add, the protests that ensued afterwards. All overlaid by there still being a pandemic. Yes. There's been a lot to take in over the last week, and we're going to break from our usual format tonight just to kind of have a frank discussion about some things we've been thinking about and constructive ways that we would like to be and to think and to act moving forward. And we're hoping to share that with you tonight. We, like so many, have this overwhelming urge to say something, make a statement, do a post, have something intelligent to say. As a lawyer, I know better than rushing to conclusive statements, which without any support are not persuasive. You know, we're supposed to gather facts. We're supposed to research law and understand the arguments on both sides and set forth our best position. But through the years, when it comes to issues of social justice, such as the Black Lives Matter movement, that approach doesn't feel right. The technicalities of the situation fall second to how you feel. The rules of law feel second to the standards that are in my heart, the standards of what's right and wrong. So you want to put something out there. You want to put your stamp on what occurred, how you feel, how people like me, a white person of privileged means, feels. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, this describes generally how I would go about handling complex issues, almost to a T. I would search for some sweeping statement to tie the issue up in a nice little bow, I've put my stamp on it, but there's even a good chance that despite how we've thought about this topic here in this podcast in hopes of respecting its sensitivity, that we actually might not come off that way even here. We might not come off as how we intend. We might not, but our concern about it can't be debilitating because isn't that the whole self-centered toxicity of social media and blogs and podcasts and Putting a black box on your Instagram, we all feel this need to put our stamp on something that isn't ours, right? To overthink and not engage. It's FOMO. It's FOMO dressed in virtue signaling if that's all you do, if that's all you're going to say. But what's the alternative? I don't know. I mean, it's not the burden of our minority friends to educate us, to place this on them as a task, as if it's their job to show us what's wrong. I can only imagine how emotionally exhausting that must be. I hear how emotionally exhausting it is from my friends in that position. And I can't even imagine. And what's wrong is not always as glaring. In fact, it almost never is as glaring as what 
happened to George Floyd because it's usually not caught on tape. It's entangled in stories and generations of societal infrastructure working against people of color. And I would never even claim to understand the half of it. You can't. You can't. People spend their whole lives studying, partaking, researching the fibers that have woven racism into the institutions that run the American society. Unless you're living it or studying it, it can be really easy to just well wish it away, to not put too much thought into it and to hope that it just stops. because. You, as a white, privileged person, have the ability to stop thinking about it that easily, and that's the problem. Yeah, and the truth is there's a lot of people that want to wake up tomorrow and hope that things just get back to the way they were or whatever that is. They were like that for the pandemic, too. We both know people that are like, well, how is it going to be when it gets back to normal tomorrow? It's like there is no normal tomorrow. In the very beginning, I was like, well, you know, if we all just stay inside for two weeks, we can get right back to where we were, and clearly that's not how it works. And when I drill down deep enough, I end up with the conclusion that the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know. I'd be kidding myself to claim anything more than that and use that as a way to relate and at the very least absolve my own conscience of the very injustice that exists among people who are not white in America. So what do we do when we're sad, when we see what's wrong and we feel sympathy but we feel disabled, right? Disabled from affecting change. Disabled the same way that a lot of people have felt over the last couple of years watching events unfold in politics and in the news and the way that many people who have suffered at the hand of racism their whole life feel. What do you do when you feel disabled from affecting change? You start small. Yeah. You know, grand gestures on social media are irrelevant. You start small and we start with acceptance right i would say acceptance is the first real point accepting that racism exists it's here in direct and indirect ways that people we know experience every day of their life accepting that white privilege is a byproduct of racism and not trying to explain away exceptions to why something happened or why oh it's not about that that's not why that happened not trying to defend yourself and a thought that you had, a way you once acted, rationalizing past behavior, like you said earlier, to clear your own conscience. I'll tell you, I'm guilty of a lot of this. Same. Earlier in my life. I will tell you that I rejected the notion of white privilege for a long time. I'm a product of divorce. My parents got divorced right after my bat mitzvah when I was 13. I grew up in a wealthy Jewish community and still felt like I was less privileged, whether that was financially or otherwise, than folks with a different type of home and opportunities that were being presented and paid for by their parents. And in my mind, that was me losing privilege that somebody else had. I had no context for that at all. It has you look inward and not outward. Yeah, it definitely does. And trying to have context for that at an early age is hard. And I'm not going to make an excuse for that other than saying that I'm guilty of it. And I didn't know and I didn't understand. I'm guilty of my own ignorance until I probably reached my 30s and not only had kids, but I began to open my eyes to the reality of people struggling for the wrong reasons, for reasons that were beyond their control, for reasons as simple as the color of their skin. And it took me that long in my life to realize that it's disturbing and upsetting. And I'll leave it at that. I would say that the next, once you accept, you accept these as facts as part of the world that we live in. I'd say allyship is key next. 
you know, Doug and I went through, <laughs> I'll put this lightly. We went through an exercise last year. We really got in a huge fight about it with the Me Too movement and a certain figurehead in the financial services industry. And I think this anecdote is relevant here. Do you want to explain a little bit? Sure. So in a nutshell, a big name, a leader in the space offended a lot of women and people in general at a conference. And I wanted to write about that. And this was something that was already kicked off by another male as a way to stand up and somewhat protect and speak out against you know this injustice that took place. And all the intentions were good, right. but there was a lot of virtue signaling going on on social media. Everybody suddenly- Up in arms. Everyone suddenly had something to say about how rude this guy had been for years. Yeah. And look, as somewhat of a leader, if not one in my space, I also felt that I should put my stamp on it, that I needed to speak out and say something. So I brought the idea to Heather that I would write about this in my blog. And I immediately got that look from her of there is absolutely no way you're going to be able to put yourself in the shoes of a woman who's experienced this and do this justice. I was just so upset because it felt like they were just men trying to explain our issues. Men could easily use their privilege and their lack of fear of repercussion to voice the struggles of female professionals like me. Maybe they'd even get some positive kudos from it and some extra attention. From other fellow from other guys. men. Yeah. <laughs> like, and my whole thing was like this story just got hijacked and it wasn't theirs to tell. Yeah, it wasn't. So what ended up happening was you taught me that it was about being an ally. And that's what we're talking about here, allyship. And that being an ally is making space for those stories, for the people who should be telling them, not retelling them in your own words. Not it's mansplaining. Not mansplaining, <laughs> not sharing how, as you said before, the way you viewed it or making it about yourself. What you're doing when you do that is you're taking up the space for the story to be told by the people who deserve to tell it. You need to make space, not occupy it. And that's not just on your platforms, but like more importantly in your life. Yeah. I mean, make space for people, people who will change your life and you will change theirs. I will speak for myself and the way I feel here. There is nothing more boring than hanging out with droves of people who are just like you. Diverse experiences, careers, viewpoints, cultures. That discourse is how you grow. Why would you ever want to limit it? You know, make space in your life for a diverse array of people. Ironically, that is what makes the country amazing. You know, you always hear in school, it's a melting pot. What makes America so great is the fact that you get all of these viewpoints, all of these experience coming together and sharing it with people. If you allow it. Yeah. If you allow it. And we've gotten way too far away from that as a country. We have strayed from that sentiment. The next point we would say to help better ourselves in this moment is being educated. Big one. With that space, with making space, we have room to learn. And education comes in many different forms. You know, not everybody has the time, realistically, has the time to pick up Toni Morrison. We can't expect them to. Right. You're still dealing with your lives, right? You're still... And a global pandemic yep. and taking care of your kids and all the other issues that cause you to not be sleeping that we talk about all the other weeks. I get it. Making this room is tough. But if you like to read... Try to choose something that will open up your mind on these topics. You know, I just joined a book group of lawyer moms where we're going to be reading a book that will ignite discussion on diversity. And we're in the process of picking the book now. 
something easier you could do, watch, watch TV. I highly recommend the documentary 13th on Netflix. I watched it when it came out a couple years ago. It is a documentary on the criminal justice system in America. It is incredibly eye-opening and pieced together a lot of tidbits that I learned in law school that I really just didn't understand how it all fit together. Also consider watching Do Not Resist about the militarization of the local police forces around the country. And that was also super eye-opening and very current to a lot of what we're seeing on our streets today. And then you have Reed. So Heather got me a book a few months ago called The Man They Wanted Me to Be by Jared Yates Sexton. And what it did is examines how we teach boys what's expected of men in America. So, I mean, it's, this book's so interesting. Yeah, I the, didn't read it, but I bought it for Doug because I just said, wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is certainly something any gender can read, but guys, you know, pick this one up. You'll start to learn about the long-term effects of that kind of socialization. It places a big emphasis on the establishment of the racist patriarchal structure that has favored white men. It investigates the personal and societal dangers of such outdated definitions on manhood. It really showed me almost a historical approach to how we've gotten ourselves conditioned this way. And it's a really good book. I suggest you pick it up. So, you know, it's not just about educating yourselves, but about educating your kids. Yeah. There's no shortage of children's books, especially in recent years that have emerged that are just great ways to initiate the dialogue with your kids of all ages. Some of the books that I could share are, and I know that there's a lot more, but all all are welcome. We're different. We're the same. The day you begin. There's also with a feminist twist, there are some great books for little girls, you know, depicting a diverse cast of female leaders throughout history that have sparked conversations in our house. A book such as A is for Awesome by Eva Chen, which is one of our daughter's favorite books where we go through women throughout history that match with the letter in the alphabet. And it has really sparked some interesting conversations about history in our home. As a dad who reads these books to his daughters every night, it it is literally like an inclusion explosion going on in these books. It's wonderful to see that and to see how many there are. We have so many of them and there's more out there. But I just wanted to point out that when it comes to teaching your kids, there's a compounding effect that occurs when you have these discussions with your children because the discussions and the conversations result in questions. I mean, a lot of questions questions. and those questions that you're bombarded with from a child that's trying to learn more, it serves as an opportunity not just to teach those lessons, but it's a constant reminder to yourself of them because it's that constant reminder that is necessary to undo the conditioning that got us here in the first place. Heather said it took her to her 30s to think outward and not inward. And when you have a child, your child, constantly asking you questions and making you think about these things, it's what allows you to begin to chip away at a really hardened structure that surrounds a lot of us. That's completely true. So once you've accepted, and only once you've accepted, and you've become an ally, and you've educated yourself, can you really take the most meaningful action? I mean, sure, you can donate money and supplies, and that's really nice, and I'll never scoff over that, but I'm talking about like meaningful action, which you need to do all of the above to really do, in my mind. 
But, you know, here's the thing, though. Concrete action comes in many forms that are big and small. And just like we said before, you know, starting small, little efforts add up. Grand gestures often mean a lot less. And sharing your platforms, working with local leaders, you know, hiring and giving voice to the minority employee experience at your company, to experiencing someone else's culture for a day or even just for a meal. And speaking of food... Not just speaking of food, but speaking of where your dollars can go. Check out things like Eat Okra. It'll help you locate black-owned restaurants that you can support. You can go even further than that and throw your dollars behind black businesses. There's applications like Black Nation and websites like We Buy Black that allow you to buy things that you need from black-owned businesses. This is a direct impact in the lives of others who need that while you're doing what you need to do anyways and get the things that you need in your life anyways. So to sum this all up, you know, and maybe you've heard all this before because a lot of people have had a lot to say over the last week or two. I don't claim to have all the answers and either does Doug. We don't really have any of them actually. But if these steps move us a little bit in the right direction, then they're not wrong because they're steps. And that much is true. So thank you all for taking the time to listen. Feel free to share your thoughts with us through the website. We'd be happy to engage with anyone on this topic or any other topic. Thanks, everyone. Try and get some rest. Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We Should Be Sleeping.